This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to Africa. Thanks for joining us. I'm Douglas Simpoga, and here's what's coming up. You have to register your name and start doing the military training, otherwise you will be punished. That's Sudanese political activist and environmentalist Nishrem Al-Shaim talking about forced enlistment in the warring militias in Sudan's conflict. Also, South Africa's ruling ANC has suspended former president Jacob Zuma's membership and security analysts warn against a planned troop withdrawal from Mozambique. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. The war between Sudan's armed forces and the paramilitary rapid support forces has spread to most of the country's 18 states. The UN says the conflict, which erupted in mid-April 2023, has killed at least 13,000 people and displaced more than 7 million. Sudanese political activists and environmentalists Nashreen El-Shaim, chairperson of the UN Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change, traveled to northern Sudan on a small ship earlier this month to speak with young people about what they have endured since the fighting broke out. El-Shaim tells VOA's Caravan Dam that several Sudanese told her both sides are forcefully recruiting young people. They are forcing people to actually get armified and go to military trainings and so on. And if you didn't go, then they use the religious but lost slash the honor thing that the RSF, they took your house and they raped your sisters and you don't want to fight, etc., etc. And of course, RSF are not getting out of the houses, are not reducing the intense of the violations that they are making. So they make very much good excuse for the Islamists and the army to use it, to use the young people uh, as a fuel for the war. Did you talk to the young people who told you that, that they were being forcibly recruited? And by the RSF you were talking about, but is this also happening with the Army side, with both sides? Did you see it yourself or did young people tell you that? I didn't see myself, to be honest. I saw young people and I talked to them and they uh, told me so. Uh, Also, I can see uh, they showed me a lot of documents. Um, So if you are working in one of the civil service offices, uh, then you are forced and there is a, an actual decision about it and they post it in all of the offices. So you can see it yourself if you are walking into one of the offices, you can see the decision that you have to register your name and start doing the military training, otherwise you will be punished for not doing so. They told me, but I, I could see uh, evidences of that. How young are these people? Most of them are above 18, but there are also majority between the age of 16 and the age of 18. Also, most of the of the young people um, and women are also now being forced to, to fight. What did you see there? But what did you see on the ground? Actually, the problems were enormous. And dung fever, cholera, and all sorts of diseases are spreading so fast. There is no enough um, hospitals um, and not enough um, places to put the, the sick people or even enough medicines. So a lot of people die, especially people who are suffering from kidney failure because there is barely devices to do the, the, the process for them, for the kidney failure uh, patients. And I think now we are entering 2,000 of people who died over um, over cholera 
and uh, and dark fever. Also, one of the things I noticed that the numbers of the IDBs were increasing and increasing, and there is no places to post them. There is no camps whatsoever. They are now putting them mostly in the schools or in the universities and so on. And they are very hungry. They are very thin. They have all sorts of problems because there is not enough support flowing for them. Did you see humanitarian groups operating anywhere? Yes, they were operating, but the need is is by far more than the actual uh, available resources. Um, I can't say I went into hot uh, clashing areas because it was too dangerous. Also because the army planted landmines around the northern area. So now even going there, even if you if you were not killed by the army or by the RSF, you will probably die because of the explosion of the land uh, mines. Uh, and we've had two accident, uh, accidents already of two buses were blown up by them. Also, the tension and the intensity of the situation was enormous. They can stop you. They can uh, interrogate you at any moment. They will ask for your ID. And if you don't have ID, you can go to jail or something. That's, that was Sudanese activist Nishran Ashaim, who spent 10 days in four different parts of northern Sudan earlier this month. She was speaking with my colleague, Carl Van Damme from Paris. South Africa's ruling African National Congress suspended former President Jacob Zuma's membership yesterday after he campaigned for a different political party. The suspension, the latest in a feud between Zuma and current South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, followed the news conference in December in which Zuma announced he would vote for the new uh, MK party due to Ramaphosa's leadership. In a statement, the ANC said Zuma's conduct was irreconcilable with the party's constitution. Zuma is currently on trial for multiple corruption charges stemming from an incident when he was deputy president more than 20 years ago. Only a small fraction of needy people in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region are receiving food aid. This according to an aid memo seen by the Associated, Associated Press. The finding comes more than a month after aid agencies resumed deliveries of grain following a lengthy pause over theft. The revelations are part of a memo by the Tigray Food Cluster, a group of aid agencies co-chaired by the UN's World Food Program and Ethiopian officials. It was just 14% of it says just 14% of 3.2 million people targeted for food aid by humanitarian agencies in the region, this month had received it by January 21st. The memo urges humanitarian groups to immediately scale up their operations. Around 20 million people across Ethiopia need food aid due to drought, conflict, and a tanking economy. The Southern African Development Community says an insurgency in Mozambique is Cabo Delgado province has eased, so it will begin withdrawing troops from the region later this year. Thousands of soldiers from several southern African countries, plus Rwanda, have been fighting extremists allied with Islamic State militants in northern Mozambique since July 2021. Security analysts are warning that the troop withdrawal could have dangerous consequences. Darren Taylor reports. 
Ansar al-Sunnah, or Keepers of the Tradition, is a loose grouping of extremists united under a few common goals. One is to turn northern Mozambique into a caliphate, an Islamic government implementing strict Sharia law. Suspected criminals would be executed publicly, and women and girls would be denied education. Ansar, which is allied with the Islamic State militant group, began attacking government institutions like police stations and towns and villages across Cabo Delgado in 2017. The militants tortured and beheaded perceived enemies, kidnapped women and girls, and burned crops. Human rights monitors say about 3,000 people have been killed in the violence, with about 850,000 displaced from their homes. Southern African and Rwandan troops are reported to have achieved notable successes against Ansar, and the government of Mozambique recently announced the insurgency was finished. Not so, says security analyst Jasmine Opperman, based in South Africa. No, the insurgency is not in decline. The insurgents since the 1st of December has launched a new spate of attacks with precision, resulting in 2,000 internally displaced people flooding their villages. We have seen a renewed attack on islands, and what we are seeing now is insurgents preaching their extremist ideology more and more to local villages. If you want to play the count game, you can say it looks better. It is not going better. The problems that we had in 2017 are still persistent today. Opperman's referring to what many experts say are the real roots of the conflict. Poverty and underdevelopment in Cabo Delgado, factors that help the extremists recruit locals. Opperman says the Mozambican government wants the world to believe the violence is over, so international oil and gas companies return to revive lucrative energy projects. President Philippe Nyusi's administration denies this, saying its troops, with the help of neighbors, have crushed Ansar. This is only partly true, Opperman tells VOA. Since the deployment of the special forces last year, we have seen significant successes in clamping down on the insurgent movements. But now, with the so-called withdrawal plan for this year, we are going to open up the Makumia coastal area, which is a heartland for the insurgents, and it's going to play right into their hands. Francesca Zucaro Southern Africa head of medical relief group Doctors Without Borders says multiple renewed attacks over the past month have displaced even more people in northern Mozambique. After this attack, they have to return to the same place where they have been living in displacement for the past two years. They've come back without anything, basically, so in need of shelter, safe water, food, and of course health. In reality, what we are seeing is people going back in their villages, but this doesn't mean that they are and they feel safe when they return. We have seen many of them returning and fleeing and fleeing again. The government says its development plan for northern Mozambique is on track, but some researchers who often visit the region say there's no sign of this and the people of Cabo Delgado remain desperately poor. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpuga in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Italian Premier Giorgia Milano yesterday unveiled Italy's development plan for Africa at a summit with the continent's leaders aiming to stem the numbers of migrants, diversify sources of energy, and forge a new relationship between Europe and Africa. The top European and United Nations officials said the Italian plan, with an initial endowment of nearly $6 billion United States dollars, would complement initiatives already underway. But African Union Commission Chairman Mosa Faki Mohamed was more cautious, telling the summit that African countries would have liked to have been consulted beforehand and didn't want more empty pledges. Two dozen African leaders, top EU and UN officials, were in Rome for the summit. Italy, long ground zero in Europe's migration debate, has been promoting its plan as a way to create opportunity in Africa and discourage its young people from making dangerous treks across the Mediterranean Sea. The plan involves pilot projects in areas such as education, healthcare, water, agriculture, and energy infrastructure. Brazil has started hearing public demands for reparations for its role in slavery. The Associated Press says Brazil received more slaves from Africa than any other country but it has struggled to have meaningful conversations about its past. The AP says, for example, that prosecutors are conducting a civil inquiry into the state-owned Bank of Brazil, which is one of Latin America's biggest financial institutions. Thus due to its historical ties to the transatlantic slave trade and slavery itself, activists and experts argue that confronting Brazil's past is a crucial step toward more equal equality today. In the Masisi territory of the Democratic Republic of Congo, the city of Sake has been hit by a series of explosions in recent weeks, creating insecurity and making it difficult for residents to find food. The name Nati Zaidi in Goma has details. Within two weeks, around eight bombs have fallen on Sake causing considerable material and human damage, says Joseph Kitimba, a resident of the city. He says that the bombing that caused the most damage was one that fell in the quarter of Mayuta, which killed a 12-year-old girl and wounded six people. The explosions are causing insecurity in the city, which is about 27 kilometers west of Goma, the capital of North Kivu province, and the blasts are increasing the hunger that set in after M33 rebels occupied the surrounding areas. In Daniel Kamala's family, eating even once a day has become a matter of survival. The bombs on he says the bombs are the primary cause of insecurity. Nothing is going well here in Sake because many families are underfed and the food production and delivery networks that's used to feed Sake no longer produce anything. 
Also, all roads leaking Sake to Kichanga and Masisi are blocked, which is causing serious problems. He says that in his family, they are struggling to find enough to eat. Leopold Mwisha, the president of Savage Society in the Kamuronza district, calls on the government to strengthen efforts to protect civilians and secure the city, the M23's closest stronghold to Goma. He says the population of Sake is in a state of psychosis. Sake has received more than 80,000 internally displaced people, so they are asking the government to take all necessary steps to protect Sake and surrounding areas, especially as the enemy's objective is to cut off Sake Bukavu Road so people are exhausted, which will work against the government during the negotiations. Fighting between the M23 and the DRC army has intensified in recent days in the Karuba and Mushaki Hills overlooking Sake. For VOA Africa, Amzane Mnetizaidi. Egypt's struggling economy has been dealt a severe blow with the war in Gaza and attacks on ships en route to the Suez Canal by Yemen's Houthis. A sharp decline in canal revenue, coupled with other drops in Egypt's key sources of foreign currency, including natural gas exports, tourism and worker remittances, is creating a serious economic crisis in Egypt. Anji Umar has more from Cairo. Admiral Osama Rabi, chairman of the Suez Canal Authority, said the rising conflict in the Red Sea between houses and the United States and Britain has forced some shipping companies to opt for the longer route around Africa that can take an extra 10 to 14 days. He told VOA that the military confrontation in response to housey attacks has cut foreign currency revenue from ships traversing the canal. Last year, from January through December, we collected $10,250,000 from the Suez Canal. Now, after a decline of 40%, our revenue will drop to $6 billion or even $5 billion. Robbie says the longer trip has reduced Suez Canal revenue and hampered supply chains. The alternative route is, of course, a temporary one because it lacks naval services and the weather conditions in the ocean are so bad for maritime navigation. There are also no available seaports to help in case of emergencies. And because it is a very long route, there is a delay in supply chains as a result of the rising conflict in the Red Sea. This disruption is expected to drag on for months, posing a serious financial setback for Egypt, with the impact on tourism adding another challenge to Egypt's major sources of hard currency. Egypt has taken steps to revive its tourism industry, particularly in southern Sinai on the Red Sea. The tourism ministry forecasts that tourism was on track to earn more than $13 billion and reach 15 million visitors for the year. Said Sadiq, a professor of political sociology at the Egypt-Japan University says the effort is important. 
the Gaza conflict, it affected tourism. Maybe you lose 50% of this revenue. It affected also investment. And so if you look at all those factors combined, the situation is very difficult and it can lead to more poverty in the country, more unemployment, more political dissatisfaction. Egypt is offering incentives of $500 per flight, landing in Sharm el-Sheikh, a popular tourist destination. The government also is working closely with wholesalers, retailers, and airlines to ensure their continued commitment to the country. Expatriate remittances, Egypt's main source of foreign currency, is plunging too. After reaching $32 billion two years ago, remittances fell by $9.85 billion in the last fiscal year, and another $1.93 billion in the July-September quarter. Sadiq says Egyptians abroad have been hesitant to send money home through official banking channels because of the devaluation of the Egyptian pound. Inflation hit a record high of 33.7% in December. Some economists and political analysts have said Egypt needs to implement reforms, including devaluing the currency, to attract investors and put the economy back on track. However, international credit ratings agencies have downgraded Egypt's debt rating, which is expected to deter foreign investors and slow their recovery. For VOA Africa, this is Angie Omar from Cairo. Gunmen in Nigeria kidnapped six students and three teachers from a school in southwestern Ikiti state last night. The Ikiti state government says the abduction took place when the students and teachers were returning from a local trip. The school bus driver was also taken. Authorities say security agencies in the state are on the trail of the abductors. No one has claimed responsibility or made ransom demands. Armed gangs have been abducting villagers, road travelers, and students in return for ransom as Nigeria grapples with widespread insecurity, which also includes a long-running Islamic insurgency in the northeast. Australian researchers have found that record heat profoundly affected the global water cycle in 2023, contributing to severe storms, floods, and droughts. A new Australian National University study asserts that rising sea and air temperatures caused by the burning of fossil fuels have intensified monsoons, cyclones, and other storm systems. From Sydney, Filmasa reports. The world's climate is increasingly lurching between extreme events, according to the new Australian National University study. The study, released Thursday, said severe storms and cyclones are dumping more water than they used to and droughts are developing much faster. The burning of fossil fuels is identified by the report's authors as by far the biggest contributor to global warming. They say that some of the worst disasters of 2023 were linked to unusually strong cyclones that brought massive rainfall to Libya, Mozambique, Myanmar, New Zealand and Australia. A lack of rainfall and high temperatures exacerbated long-standing droughts in South America, parts of Africa and the Mediterranean. Lead author Albert Van Dyke, a professor at the Fenner School of Environment and Society at the Australian National University College of Science, told VOA climate change is deeply affecting the global water cycle. On the one hand, we see that severe storm and rainfall events carry more water 
than they're used to. So cyclones dump more water and start to behave in some erratic ways that causes them to slow down, which happened, for instance, in Australia, but also in other places, dumping a lot of water in one place and causing massive flooding. On the other hand, we're seeing that droughts develop much faster. The research team in Australia used data from thousands of ground stations and satellites to provide real-time information on rainfall, air temperature and humidity in the air. And that report by Phil Massa in Sydney wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpogo in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at viewafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, David Bande, and our engineer, Rob McLean, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.